Amen. Well, this morning, we'll get right to it. We are in a series on relationships. Relationships last a lifetime. Uh, kind of went through some of this with some friends of mine. Some people are moving on and in a work group I'm in and that. And we had a big get together and it kind of reminded me of relationships and how you make relationships over the years and how they really do uh, last a lifetime, how they affect you. Uh, some can affect you in a very positive way, can help you, uh, you know, to, to, to meet your destiny, to, um, to, to help you to be a better person in life. You know, relationships can help you in that way. Sometimes relationships can uh, uh, be a detriment to you or, or a stumbling block, can't they? Sometimes they can be a hindrance. But even in those times, uh, you know, we, we learn things from that. You know, God, God doesn't do anything by chance or happenstance. And I would be willing to say that everybody that comes across your path, that comes into your life, is there for one reason or another. There is some reason. Even those you would have rather not ever met, <laughs> they're there for some reason. You know, God did that for a reason. And so in this series, we've talked about a little uh, a bit of that, and we've talked about how we need to have uh, relationships in order and properly in order. You know, our first and, and most important relationship is what? Relationship with the Lord. Relationship with Jesus. That has to be our first and foremost relationship. And then down from there, it's us. We have to be able to love the Lord our God. Matthew 22, I believe it is, verses 37 to 39, Jesus told the young man, love the Lord your God with how much of your heart and how much of your soul. And how much of your mind? All of it. So that has to be the first relationship. And then we do have to be able to love ourselves. Now, we explained, I'm not talking about that fleshly self. I'm not talking about when you look in the mirror and you see that one that's made all those mistakes, that's fallen short a lot, and it looks funny, and it lost his hair, and other types of things, you know. But when you see that, I'm not talking about that. But what we're talking about is that new creature Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new, Paul told the Corinthians. And so that new creature that God created, we have to be able to love him. We have to be able to love her because if we don't, what are we saying about God? You know, David uh, spoke back to God and said, Lord, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He understood something that many of us need to understand is that God broke the mold when he made us. God broke the mold when he made you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, and you've got to be able to love that person that God made. And if you're able to do that, then you'll be able to love others properly. See, because how you love yourself, you know, it it plays a big part in how you relate and love others. really does. And so we've talked a lot about that, and we've developed a biblical perspective and a connection uh, on how we are to live lives and how we are to relate one to another. We have delved into what is the most important aspect of life according to Jesus, and that is what? Relationships, right? Love God, love yourself properly, love others properly. Uh, today we're going to examine what I call successful, intentional relationships. Successful, intentional relationships. And this has a lot to do, yes, with marriage. You know, we haven't talked about that yet. 
has a lot to do with dating, courting, those types of things, but it's not exclusive to those things. Okay, uh, you know, that's not to say that, listen, if you're a single person or, you know, if that is your, even your lot in life, um, you know, that's not to say you're less than or anything else. I'll tell you how I know that is because Apostle Paul was single. And he was one of the greatest men that ever graced our presence. You know, he was humble. Uh, he was all those things. He wrote a big part of the New Testament. And so he was a single man. So we know that being single is not out of the will of God if that's God's will for you. But one of the things that we do know is when you look around, not only in the world, but specifically in our country, and I'll tell you what, even and more so in the church, we'll see that marriages are at risk. Marriages are under attack. Marriages are in trouble, saints. If you look at it according to the world's eyes, our marriages are in trouble. Just as much in the church, and even more so, than they are in the world. Come on, they really are. We bring a lot into marriage sometimes. We bring baggage into that relationship, and uh, we bring hurts and pains and all of those things, and sometimes we just don't know how to deal with that. You know, and so what we do is we just don't deal with it at all. We just ignore it and let it be and try to make it uh, with those things there in, in our relationships. And that doesn't only happen in marriage. That happens with best friends. That happens with coworkers. That happens in families. You know, it happens in a lot of our relationships where we have all of these things, but we don't deal with them and we just try to shut it out, maybe. Move on. Maybe we come from a situation where we don't really know how to react in a relationship. Maybe we come from a situation where, you know, we didn't see how a relationship should be done properly. We never saw that, you know, maybe growing up with our parents, uh, you know, or aunts and uncles, family, we friends, you know, mentors. We didn't see uh, marriages or other relationships done properly, and so we don't know how to do that. We don't know how to do it right, and we just struggle through it. How many know that relationships take work? We spend so much time working on other areas of our life. We work in school. You know, we try to pick the right college and, and the right subject. What are we going to do for the rest of our life, our career? How are we going to do that? We, when we shop for a car, even, we try to get the right one that we like, you know, that fits us. It Maybe it needs to fit my personality. What about the gas mileage? You know, what, what, what is my career? Does it involve my car? We take all that into account when we buy a car, when we buy a house. Does it have the right number of rooms? Do I want a basement? Do I not? You know, what am I, do I want a deck? We put all this work into so many areas of our life, and rightfully so, but we lack when it comes to understanding that we need to put work into our relationships. It takes work, and it's not just the marriage relationship. It's all of our relationships. It's your relationship with your sister. It takes work. Yeah, you've known her all your life, but guess what? No matter how old you are, it still takes work. Your relationship at church, with your friends, with your pastor. Come on. It takes work. Relationships take work. And if you look at relationships the way the world does, well, we can pick them up, lay them down. It doesn't really matter. If we can get something out of a relationship, then go ahead and pick it up. 
and try it out for a while. But if it doesn't really suit you, then put it down. It's no big deal as long as you have yourself taken care of. We are a self-centered culture, folks. I mean, think about it. Even when you look at our social media, which I said before, I'm a socialite. You know, I do some of those things on Facebook and Twitter sometimes. Not very often, but, you know, I look at, look at it sometimes. Or when I have a few pics from vacation, maybe I'll put them up there or something like that. So, you know, I do those types of things sometimes too. But, you know, what I see is when I look on there, I see a lot of things that are called selfies. Come on, isn't that the biggest thing? I think there's even a TV show or a movie now called Selfie. You know, it's, and, it's, and it's kind of funny, you know, it's, it's that type of thing. It's, oh yeah, selfies are nice to take, selfies are fun to do. But what does it say about our culture when everybody is so engulfed in selfies? That's the most important thing, is to take a selfie. That's the way we are. We should not be surprised by that. It's our nature of the flesh to be a selfie. But when it comes to relationships, at any level, whether it's marriage, whether it's family, whether it's friends, co-workers, whatever it is, selfies don't work. When you do that, it's a recipe for disaster in that relationship. And so relationships take work. What we have learned so far is that really the, the way to do relationships is we have to look at the master. We have to look at the one who created not only you and I, but who created relationships. In fact, do you not understand that God himself wanted relationship and that's why he created us? He created us for relationship with him. And everything else is icing on the cake. All the blessings that you get from the Lord, all of these other things are icing on the cake. But the reason we were created was for relationship with him. He didn't create us to be puppets for him. Otherwise, he wouldn't have given us a will. Come on. He didn't create us that way. He created us to be in relationship with with him, the God of the universe. And if he created us that way, how much more should we realize that we long for relationship? Here's what a relationship is. Relationships are what? Multifaceted connections between people of all ages, for all of life, in all places, that bring fulfillment and enhancement to our destiny. That's what they do. They help us to, to feel, to live a life that's full, to fill those voids in our life that are empty. And they help us to live and lead a satisfying life. What I'd like for us to do is to connect with people at every level of life, the God way. That's what we need to struggle toward, the God way, the right way. Fulfillment comes out of relationships. You know, you can have things, you can have material things, you can have cars and houses and clothes and, 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 and careers and money and all of those things, but you'll never get the fulfillment that you'll get out of relationships. And I'll tell you why, it's because that's why you were created. It's why you can never have enough money. It's why you can never have enough clothes. You can never have enough shoes. They only satisfy for a certain amount of time. 
You can never have enough of, well, other things as well. You can never get enough of it. Because you were created for a relationship to fill that void. You can have degrees. You can have all sorts of things. But you still will be empty inside because that is how God created you. You cannot fill the void with things that's meant to be filled with a connection with another human. You can't do it. That's why connections are important. That's why family is important. That's why marriage is important. That's why relationships are important. I'll tell you something. There's nothing more dangerous. Think about this now. Think about it. Nothing more dangerous than loneliness. Loneliness causes people to do some crazy things. Really. You think about people who shoot up the post office or shoot up school or commit suicide or do all of these sorts of things, you know, bomb a a building and all of these kind of things. A lot of that can be tracked right back to lack of relationships. Maybe it's a parental relationship. Maybe it's a relationship with a spouse or, you know, a loved one, a relationship they were in, an intimate relationship, and they were hurt. And it causes them to do some very strange things. Relationships, folks, are important. Romans chapter 12. Read this in a few different versions for you this morning. Before you put that up there, let me read this to you in the... New King James Version, first of all. The one where King James and New King James, what we're used to. The one you know and probably can quote. And then we'll look at it a little deeper. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says what? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, that's from the outer being conformed, but no, be ye transformed from the inside out by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Look at this in the Amplified version. The Amplified says this, Paul says, I appeal to you, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, and beg of you in view of all, out in the open, in front of everybody, I'm begging you by the mercies of God to make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all, there's the word again, you know how Jesus does, there's that word, all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable, your rational, your intelligent service and spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world or this age or those things that are around you. Don't be fashioned after and adapted to its external, superficial customs. But be transformed, be changed by the entire renewal of your mind, by its new ideals and its, its new attitude so that you may prove for yourself what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in his sight for you. Paul is imploring us this morning. 
He's begging us in sight of all, in front of everybody. He's asking us, pleading with us, please do this. Do what I'm asking you to do. Why? Because it is God's will for you. I'm going to read it out of one more version for you. Now, this version, I want you to sort of look at as a commentary. This is not my favorite version of the Bible. I use it sometimes. It's kind of flowery to me. And so I don't suggest to you as a pastor to make this your main version uh, that you study and read out of. Uh, But listen, at the same time, I like to look at scriptures in a lot of different versions. The King James, the New King James being my base, just for me personally, because I feel like they're the closest to the original text. But I like looking at these versions of scripture out of, out of the Amplified and out of Good News Translation. I just want to see what other people may have to say as they prayed and, and, and talked to God about this scripture. And so there's commentaries, Matthew Henry commentary. There's a lot of different things that we can use to study the Bible. And so I, I look at this version more or as a, a something different of, of how someone else is thinking. Not my favorite one, but this, the message version, listen to what it says. He says this. Eugene Peterson says this. He says, Paul is saying, so here's what I want you to do. Now, we heard the New King James Version. We heard the Amplified. So here's what I want you to do. Here's the thing. God helping you take your everyday Ordinary life, the things you do every day, you get up in the morning, brush your teeth, maybe you watch a little Today Show, I don't know, you know, you wash up a little bit, put on your clothes, go to work, have your coffee, every little thing that you do. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life and place all of it, all of it, all of it before God. Place it before him as an offering. We don't think about that sometimes. You know, well, God doesn't care about some of these things. I mean, getting coffee and brushing my teeth and calling my friend and maybe I'm late to work today and, you know, going through some of those things. That's, that's not the important things, you know, but it's, uh, you know, Sunday morning. That's important. Or if somebody comes across my path and wants to talk about the Bible, well, you know, now that's important. Now I need to really pray about that thing, you know, and, and that's, that's what I need to put before God. But God, Paul is saying here, put everything before him as an offering. I offer it all to you, Lord. I offer you my marriage. I offer to you my relationships. I offer to you the way I talk, my mind, the things that I think about. All of it I lay before you. And he says embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Think about that. What can we do for God? What can we possibly do for God that will make him happy? Right? It'd be like, you know, me being in a marriage, you know, with my wife and, you know, maybe she's a famous singer and she makes $16 million a year, you know, traveling around the country. She said she receives it, but me too. And, uh, and uh, you know, so, and then maybe, you know, maybe... Uh, you know, I don't do anything or I get a job and my job doesn't make that much money. And so, you know, she comes home and says, well, here is $16 million. And I said, well, I went to work today, too. And here is $14. Now we got $16 million and $14. You know, what did that add to it, right? Well, you know, in that situation, obviously, uh, you know, it's not the importance of the amount of money. But when you think about God, it's a lot more than $16 million. Billions and trillions and trillions. And what can we possibly bring to him now, Lord? I added that. There we go. Now we're set. You know, I know you had some before, but now I brought mine. Now we're good. 
I mean, can we say that to God? Is that what we do? We bring something to God that way? What can we possibly do for him? Well, here's what we can do. Be obedient is what it's called. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. That's why I said you have to love yourself. There it is. That's why I said you, you are fearfully and wonderfully made in that new creature, that new creation. God made perfectly. He thought about it. He molded it. He shaped that thing and he put it in you. And now that thing is you. Come on. And you've got to love it. You can't be self-deprecating. Come on. Can't do that because you're slapping God in the face. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture. Oh, boy, here's a big one right here. Don't, be, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking about it. Folks, I, I'm not a person who is a, a doomsday person. I just, I really am not. And I'll talk about that a little bit. I'm not. I, you know, I see things that go on. I know things happen. You know, listen, we got, uh, you know, people got Ebola you know, I know, I, I realize that. You know, Bola's, you know, Bola's going around and guys riding subways and nurses are complaining because, you know, they don't have good cell service, you know, because she's quarantined. I don't know if you heard about that, uh, you know, uh, or whatever it is. I, you know, I, I get all, whatever, you know, that's fine. Um, I know marriages are in trouble. 50% of the marriages, probably more than that now, you know, end in divorce. Uh, you know, a lot of bad things, you know, typhoons are happening. Wintertime is coming. You know, a lot of terrible things, uh, you know, <laughs> a lot of bad things happen. But listen, for me, I'm just I'm just not a doomsday person. I just to me, just God is big enough to he knew all that stuff was going to happen anyway. Uh, you know, we cause a lot of it. And he fixes a lot of it. So, you know, uh, you know, listen, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And I, you may not agree with me, and that's okay. I'm just going to step aside for a moment. This is just my opinion, and you may not agree. To me, I know there's a lot of people who talk about how we're ruining, ruining the earth, and, and we are. I mean, we are, just really, you know, with uh, what, exhaust and, uh, you know, war, and uh, uh, I, don't, I, I don't know about global warming. I, you know, I like it when it's warm, so it doesn't bother me, but... But I, I'm, I'm ignorant about that subject, so I don't know. But I'm sure there are a lot of ways we're ruining the earth. And people are saying, well, we're just going to ruin the earth, and then the earth is just going to go away, and we're not going to have anywhere to live, and that's it, and we're going to do it. I kind of take a different perspective on that. I believe that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. We are the landlord, so we're taking care of it. But just like any good landlord who still owns the building, you know, if it gets too far, God's going to do something about it. Because it still belongs to him. Come on. Now, we're taking care of it. But come on now. Anybody in here ever been a landlord? I know you have Brother Scott. You know, Brother Anthony, come on. Now, if it gets too far, you're just going to go kick the people out. Right? The, the earth still belongs to the Lord. So we can take it so far. But it still belongs to him. But that's just me. Okay, now I'm back. All right. And so, I'm not a, I'm not a doomsday type person. But... I'll tell you one thing I will say is this culture is just a mess. I mean, it really is a mess. Our culture is an absolute mess, the, the culture of this world. And so much so that we've gotten used to it. And so what happens, and Paul warned, about, warned us about this 2,000 years ago. So it's nothing new. But so much so that we've gotten used to it, and whatever happens, we just kind of fit right into it, you know, without even knowing it. 
Kind of like Samson laying his head in the lap of Delilah. You know, it's no big deal. And she woos him. And that's how this world does us, even as Christians. It woos us into the culture. And so we begin to just fall right into it. We begin to think, well, you know, homosexual marriage is not so bad. I mean, it may not really be God's perfect will, but maybe it's his permissible will. And we make up different things like that to try to justify things. And, you know, we don't, what we do, we were talking about this yesterday. What we do is we say, well, we need to reach out to people. We need to evangelize. We need to love people because God loves us. And he does unconditionally. We know that. But what we do is we go out and then we lower the standard of God's word. We take his word. And we try to bring it down and lower it and say, well, now you can meet that standard. Come on. Now, now you can do it. Now you can meet. Now you're doing good. And the fact of the matter is we're blinded to the fact that you're not doing good. Instead of leaving the standard where it is, we can love people up to the standard. You don't have to be mean and evil and hit people over the head with the word in order to love them up to the There's a way to do that. And Jesus did it. He did it with you and me. He loved us up to the standard. He didn't lower the standard just because he went over Matthew's house and he had some of his boys. Matthew had some of his boys over there. All right. And they got together just because they mixed together. That doesn't mean Jesus lowered the standard. I guarantee you he wasn't going over there saying, well, that's okay. Yeah, give me a few drinks, too, because I want to fit in, you know, with you guys. And in order to minister to you, I have to be where you are. No, I I guarantee you Jesus didn't do any of that. And they still listen to him. And so we can bring people up to the standard. And guess what? But here's the thing. It starts right here. We need to bring ourselves up to the standard. We need to look in the mirror and say, where have I lowered the standard in my life? Where have I, I, I conformed to the culture of the world in my life? And let me come back and raise that thing back up to the standard of God's word. That's where I need to be. And he's saying you fit into it without even thinking about it. We fit right into it. And he says this, he says, instead, don't do that. Fix your attention on God. That's what Paul is saying. Instead of doing that, turn your attention, the old song, turn your eyes, what? On Jesus. You'll be changed from the inside out. See, that word transform comes from a word that uh, also means metamorphosis. All right, so that's from the inside out, I'm changing. It's opposite of conforming. When we conform to the world, we're one way. The world is on the exterior and it, it conforms us to it. But Paul is saying, instead of doing that, why don't you metamorphose from the inside out and be who you really are? You've been acting and thinking and doing and saying, uh, you know, certain things and you've been acting a certain way, but it's not who you are. And don't let anybody tell you that's who you are because you've done and said those things. What you really need to do is start acting like who you really are. First, you have to know who you are. I know who I am. I am forgiven. Come on. I am all of those things. And then start acting like that. So he says, instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you. Understand what God wants from you. 
Here's the thing about obedience. Quickly respond to it. Do it now. Do it now. Parents, how frustrating is it to tell your children, I'd like for you to do such and such. We've got company coming over. I need you to pick, pick up. Okay, just a second. Just a moment. Okay, hold on a second. Hold on a moment. Hey, pick it up. Do it now. Come on. That's what God is saying to us. That's what he's saying to us, saints. Do it. Stop making excuses. Stop justifying what you're doing. Do it now. Unlike the culture around to you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. And believe me, this culture around you is immature. God brings the best out of you. Develops well-formed maturity in you. God will do that for you. This is what Paul is telling us. It's what he's telling us. His good and acceptable will. Here's what relationships do. I'm talking about successful, intentional relationships. Relationships have to be intentional if they're going to be successful. Got to put in the work, folks. Got to put in the work. You have to understand that this relationship has to be first. We know that. I believe in God. I believe that God is sovereign. I believe he created the heavens and the earth. I believe he sent his son to die on the cross for the remission of my sin. I believe that I am healed. That's, that's scripture. Come on. Don't say, listen, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin, you know, and he brought me his peace and that's it. Healed is in the scripture as well. He put it there for a reason. I'm not making it up. I'm just telling you it's in Isaiah and in Peter is what he did. By his stripes you were healed. So he did all of that on the cross for us. I believe that God is sovereign. I believe that the earth is his footstool and the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. I believe in the complete triune God. I believe that God is three and I believe that God is one. How is that? I have no idea, but he'll tell us when we get there one day. Stop arguing about it. You can argue all day about it. Stop it. You're wasting your devil would have you do that all day long. Argue about the Trinity and argue about oneness. And he's going to say, well, let's keep arguing about that. Meanwhile, the world is going on. God's will is not getting done in your life. Why? Because you're arguing about the Trinity and about oneness. But enough of that. I digress. I believe in God. I believe that. And then there's this thing called the Bible, the scripture, God's word. I believe in the Bible, the inspired word of God given by God, through many, many vessels, supernatural inspiration, over 40 of them in a 1,500-year period, if you, put, if you pack all the years together, over 1,500 years, God gave his word to over 40 people who wrote it down. It does not contradict itself. It is perfect, and this is called the doctrine of inerrancy. All right, we believe that the word is inerrant. It has something to say about relationships and it's, it has no error in it. The Bible is the authoritative word of God. And if you ask most Christians, do you believe that the Bible is inspired by God? Yes, I do believe that. Do you believe that the Bible is the authoritative word of God? Yes, I believe that the Bible is the authoritative word of God. Here's where we fall a little short is this second doctrine I like to bring out, and that's the doctrine of sufficiency. Here's the thing. We have no problem understanding that the Bible is God's 
perfect word and it's his perfect will for us, but we lack when, we, when it comes to understanding that it is altogether sufficient for us. Now, here, here's what I mean by that. We get into situations, and I'm talking about as this relates to relationships. How many know we could go so many different ways with this? But I'm talking about relationships. Do you think that the Bible has anything to say about dating? Right? I know Jody knows that. He tells people about it all the time. Do you think the Bible has something to say about marriage? Do you think the Bible has something to say about sex? Do you think the Bible has something to say about relationships, period? Of course it does. And not only does it have something to say, but what it has to say is altogether sufficient for us. We can believe it. We can rely on it. Sufficient. It's sufficient for marriage relationships and it's sufficient for the single person to be whole and fulfilled. Sufficient for those in a serious relationship to be wise and healthy and pleasing to God. Sufficient for all relationships of family, friends, and all of life. The word of God is altogether sufficient for you. Why do we then, and I'm talking to myself as well, why do we then not go back to it when we're talking about relationships? Why do we not go back to see what God would say about this situation? We don't like what he may have to say. That's exactly right. It's easier to run to divorce court or it's easier just not to call that person. Not to be in marriage. It's easier just to say, well, okay, that's fine. I just won't call you. You won't call me. And we'll just leave it at that. You know, that's the way you want to treat me. You want to be like that. And I'll be like this. And, you know, everything's fine. And that's the way we do. Why? Because it takes work. We don't like what God may have to say. You know, when we go back to the word, here's the, here's the, I'll tell you what the real problem is. You want to know the secret of the real problem, why we don't believe that this is sufficient for us? Here's the thing, because when, when, when there's a, when there's an issue, we, we have an issue, right? We're married, we have this, we have an issue, you know, she does this thing, I don't like the way she cooks the cube steak, well, he just doesn't appreciate my cooking, and then we go, you know, and we got to figure out what the deal is and how we're going to solve this problem. And so what we want to do is we want to go somewhere, get some counseling, get some counseling, and I want the people, the counselor or whoever the counseling is, whether it's the Lord, whether I go to Jody or I go to Pastor Phil, Brother Carter, whoever it is, and I, Brother Scott, I want them to tell Dietra why she needs to change the way that she makes the cube steak to make our marriage better. And then what happens is when we go and Pastor Phil doesn't say that, what he says is, why don't you appreciate what she makes? Oh, man, I thought he was a good counselor. Jody, I thought you were a good counselor. (laughs) Come on. So I go to somebody else. Will you please tell her? Okay. But this is what we do. When we go back to the words, what you said, Jody, we don't like what it has to say. Because you know what God does? 99.9999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999
deliberate steps and measured actions that are governed by biblical convictions, principles, and the wisdom of God. That's a successful, intentional relationship. The thing has to start with purpose and it has to be developed with purpose. Can't just start. How many are like me? You're good at starting something, but finishing it out, uh, not so much sometimes. <laughs> Come on. Got some great ideas? Man, I got some great ideas. Oh, yeah, we can do this and do that. And, you know, I'm good at starting something. But boy, to finish it out, that's a little different. You know what I do instead of finishing it out? Just start something else. <laughs> I, you know what? I do books that way sometimes. I mean, unless it's really interesting, I really, I get into a book and I get so far into it, then I start talking about it with my wife maybe, and, you know, I get about halfway through the book, then all of a sudden a shiny object, I see another book. Oh, that book is good too, so then I start that book. I'm probably reading about eight different books right now and listening to three books on tape. God is saying, why don't you just listen to one book? Or why don't you just read one book and finish that? And so that's what we need to look at with relationships. We need to see it through. We need to see it through. There's going to be some ups. There's going to be some downs. But let's keep on going. Let me focus just for a moment on the, 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 the intimate relationship between people. Now, again, I know that everybody won't be necessarily in this relationship. Some are single. Some maybe have been married in the past and now are single. Some maybe it's your lot to be single. But I, I really feel that if the, the enemy is attacking this area you know, of, of our culture, of our culture, when I talk about the church, the church culture, he really attacks this. Why? Because we are examples of Christ as people, but then also as men. Because God, Jesus uses the example of, listen, he is the husband, the church is the wife. Am I right? We are married to Jesus. We are married to him, and so it's important. Well, the world system is just that. It is the world's system. It's their way of looking at things. And in the world system, when you talk about dating, they, they use a dating that is, well, playing the field. We've heard that term before. Dating that is playing the field. That just means just keep trying it till you find something that you like. I'll try raspberry. Ah, it was all right. I'll try fruit punch. Try lemonade and keep on trying until you find one that you like. How many know that that is not God's way for so many different reasons? That we can't just keep on trying and throw it away. Because you're not throwing away raspberry or lemonade. You're throwing away people. You're throwing away a heart when you do that, whether you realize that or not. If you don't believe that, just be on the other side of that. Come on, we've experienced that sometimes. On the other side of it, you've been the one that's been tossed away. How does that make you feel? Right? It's not God's way. Dating that is recreational. Leading a person on is not Christ-like and should be seen as wrong. Here's something that I don't believe you may have thought about or maybe you don't think about very often when you think about dating. Dating... That is defrauding. This is what we do. Dating that is defrauding. You probably say, well, what does that mean? What do you mean by defraud? 
Well, here's what defrauding is. Defrauding is attempting to take advantage of another person in order to satisfy evil desires in yourself, arousing desires in another that cannot be righteously fulfilled. In other words, you know uh, that I'm not going to be with this person the rest of my life, but I can have some fun, and then when that's done, I'll just move on. That's the way the world does stuff. And it defrauds the other person. Because you've led them on. You've led them to believe one thing and you've done something different. And you're not playing with their job. You're playing with their life. It's defrauding. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 4, 6. One version says this. That no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter. Because the Lord, listen now, the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also forewarned you and testified. So, when you defraud people in that way, and think about this, young people, please. When you think about dating, and if you're not serious about it, but you just want to play around with that person, what you're doing is you're defrauding. And when you do that, you think you get away from it, but the Lord would say to you, I am the avenger of that person. I would not want to be on that list. I don't know about you. Dating that is temporary enjoyment. This relationship is one that's built on personal enjoyment and personal pleasure only without any commitment or expectation of the future. What about dating that leads to sexual sins? Proverbs 6, 27 and 28. Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? Can you play around and get close and not fall? This is what Solomon is saying. And in case you're wondering, I know we got some kiddos in here, but if you wonder, was he talking about sex? Yes, I'm talking about sex. And I'm going to tell you something, parents and adults. Your kids hear it from everywhere except in church. That's why I'm saying it across the pulpit. Because they're going to hear it. They're going to hear it in movies. They're going to hear it at school. They're going to see it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. They're going to hear about it everywhere except for right here, where it should be talked about. Because we just said it, the Bible has something to say about it. We just saw that. The Bible has something to say about it. And what happens is, when that thing happens... You, we, we must understand that there is, there is an exchange that happens. We know that physically, but there is, a, there is a spiritual and emotional exchange that happens when that takes place. And this is how you defraud somebody when that takes place. Now listen, I, I want to be nice and soft about it and say, well, you know, it'll be okay. But you know, listen, I got to tell you, this thing is up here. And this is where we need to go. This is where we need to go. We got to reach up to here. Can't come down and it might hurt. That's okay. It's all right. It's all right. Listen, God is forgiving. I, listen, we cannot do anything about yesterday. One thing we have to realize about this life is that it's forward going. That's why, that's why Jesus said a man with his hand to the plow looking backward is not fit for the kingdom of heaven. Can't worry about it. If you did it yesterday, listen, that's done. Nothing you can do about that. 
I like the way Bishop Jakes talked one time when he was doing a, a marriage conference. I don't know if you remember this, but we were watching it, a little bit of it on, on television, and he was, he was talking about how marriage should be, Sister Jody, and he was saying, you know, it should be this, and, you know, between one man and one woman, and you should not have sex before marriage, and in fact, dating, you have to be careful because he uses scripture, you know, you can't, don't play with hot coals, you know. Listen, Sister Mary told us, when Dietra and I were dating, you go out, you go out to Damon's rib joint, you sit out in the middle and you hold hands where everybody can see you. You walk in the mall and you hold hands in the mall in front of everybody. You know, don't be over each other's house late at night, you know, 1130 in the midnight. Nothing good usually happens after midnight. Come on. You know, and so, you know, you be out in the open in, in, in front of everybody, right? And that's the way you do it. You be, you, you be careful. And he says, you have to do all this. This is the perfect way. Then he said, but most of us have messed that up. So now what do we do? And so we have to take it from here. And so, listen, if that's, if that's your past, that, if that was yesterday, if that was last night, leave it there. Today is a new day. We can say this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice, we will be glad in it, and we will not bring the standard down. Repent, that's what we need to do. Repent to the person, repent to God, whatever we need to do, and now look to the standard and let's go higher. We can start today going higher in any area of our life, in any, in any area of our relationships. We can start now and go higher. Let's do that today. Come on. Josh McDowell said this. He said, by age 20, 81% of today's unmarried males and 67% of unmarried females will have had sexual intercourse. Now, here's what the world would say to that. They would say, well, they're going to do it anyway. The statistics show it, so let's just give out protection in school and let's tell them how to have safe sex and all of that in school. Here's what I would say to that. Just because the, the, the statistics show that does not mean that my son is going to have sex by the time he's 20 years old. Now, I'm not stupid. You know, people, I know people will say, well, you're just dumb, you're just naive, you don't realize that they do stuff. I know exactly what happens. I'm not dumb, I was a boy, I, you know, I'm not stupid, okay? I realize that. But I'm not going to give up just because some statistics say that. Come on. I'm not going to say that, no. I'm not going to give up. We have to pour into our children these principles every day. And guess what? You can't do it once. You can't say, listen, don't have sex by the time you're married. Okay, that's good. Now let's go on. Let's, you know, let's go to King's Island. Let's watch the game. Let's do something else. No, you have to do it every day. Guess what? It takes work. It takes work to do. And we have to do that. Because the world will tell them something different. You tell it to them once, the world will say something ten times. The opposite of what you say. You pray one way, the world will be praying a different way. And double. Exponentially. So it takes work. We have to do it. The world system leads to hurt and broken lives. It leads to emotional attachments that can cause great hurt if a relationship is broken off. Hurts can cause someone to be in oppression. We have the wrong mindset. Sometimes I can't live without this person. You know, I'll just die. And now I'm lonely. And guess what? That causes us to do some crazy and strange things. <laughs> we have to be 100% sufficient in God, first of all. 
It's the only way our relationship is going to work with someone else, whether it's marriage or anything else. First of all, you be 100% sufficient in God. 100%. Then when you come together with somebody else, whether it's dating, whether it's talking about marriage, whether it's a friend, whether it's a boss, when you're 100% secure and sufficient, you don't have to worry because what they say is not going to affect you, your spirit, your emotions. You're secure. That's the way that we have to be. Broken hearts in today's world are real and they are sad. So what can an intentional relationship teach us? Why should we pursue an intentional relationship? Well, several things. Number one, it teaches us to live selflessly and to think about someone else's needs. I didn't say selfie. I said selflessly. That's how it teaches us. And when you are in a dating relationship, your thoughts are focused on the other person. Oh, what she likes to eat, where she likes to shop, how you can move your schedule around to meet her needs with a surprise gift. You shift your focus from yourself. Philippians 2.3 says, let nothing be done through nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in what? Lowliness of mind, let each one esteem others better than himself. Let each one, all of us, esteem others better than ourselves. 1 Corinthians 7, 33 and 34. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. There is a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she who is married, this is scripture now, she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. What does that mean? That means that her focus is now dual. It doesn't mean that she leaves focusing on God, or he leaves focusing on God. But what it means now is, now that you have, now that you have this relationship set, now you are sufficient to now focus also on how you might please your wife, how you might please your husband. It's just as important and it goes together. It's just as important and it goes together. See, the other person more so than yourself. It teaches us about ourselves, a successful intentional relationship. A person can bring out characteristics in your life that you did not think you had, both good and bad. Both ways. It teaches us to mature in another dimension of relationship. It teaches us to prove our character and our commitment level. Be committed to something. Faithful, faithful, faithful. One of the most important things of a relationship is to, for the other person to understand that you are committed and that you are faithful. You have to be faithful. There is wisdom worth finding and obeying. Biblical wisdom is the ability to judge correctly and follow the best course of action based on knowledge and understanding, based on what God has told us to do. This wisdom is a path that brings great rewards, blessings, favor, protection, long life, fulfillment, living in harmony one with another and also with God. Biblical wisdom. 
We need to believe and understand God created you with the capacity to love and give your life to the right person. Have to understand that. We have to be able to focus on developing our character to become the right person. Here's the thing. Sometimes we pray so much for the other person. God, send me the other person. I'm just waiting. I'm waiting for this other person. And God's saying, listen, I already have someone prepared, but I'm working on you. Because they're praying also, and i got to have you ready for them. So why don't you focus on getting yourself 100% there? Come on. Realize it's not wrong to pursue finding your to-be wife or husband. He who finds a wife finds a good thing, Proverbs says. So it's not wrong to pursue it. Just pursue it the God way. Talking to those who may think about a relationship one day. Relationships built with marriage in mind must start with spiritual compatibility. A Christian should not develop this kind of relationship with a non-Christian. Oh, well, you know, Pastor Mike, I found somebody for me, and uh, he's a good man. That's great. He's not a Christian. That's not so good. Well, you know, he's going to change. Okay, that's good. He's going to become a Christian. That's wonderful. As soon as he becomes a Christian, then you start your relationship. (laughs) But until then, work on that. That's the relationship that needs to be worked on. This marriage conference we have coming up, I really hope that everyone is able to attend. Whether you're in a relationship, thinking about a relationship one day, or you've been in a relationship for years and years. Uh, It'll be very beneficial. But I just want to end with this. To those who maybe are in a relationship, a new relationship, maybe those who are thinking one day they might be in a relationship, Maybe you just got out of a relationship and you don't know if you'll be in a relationship again, but you might be in a relationship. One day, there may be a relationship for you. Let me give you these eight non-negotiables in a potential intentional relationship. This is what you need. Number one, you need someone that respects authority. And I mean that for both sides. But just being a man, I'm going to say especially for the ladies, you need someone who knows how to respect authority. You need someone like the centurion that says, listen, I am in authority. I tell this one to do, he does, and he, but I am also under authority. Someone tells me what to do, and I know how to do it. Next, you need someone who takes responsibility. You need to be able to ask some questions. Ask him some financial questions. Well, do you have any credit card debt? Well... Yeah, a little, but what does that have to do with anything? Well, how much? Well, it's about $18,000. Why? What does that matter to you? Well, how do you expect to pay that off once we get married? What's your plan? That affects me too, you know? Come on. You need someone that knows how to take responsibility. Does he listen to his dad when his dad tells him to do something? Does he talk back to his mom? Does she... Listen to her mother when she tells her to do something. Come on. You need someone that has proven healthy relationships. You need to be able to look around in their life and say, they have a good relationship with their sister, with their parents. What about their friends? Maybe some of their friends are your friends. How are they in those relationships? It's an indicator. It's an indicator. Come on. Signs. Someone who's financially stable. 
Oh, well, you know, it's going to be all right. He's going to get saved and he's going to get a job. I don't know how many times I've heard people in my family and friends, girls, well, you know, I'm with, you know, so-and-so and, you know, I just wanted to call you to talk to you about him and, oh, okay, well, what's going on? Well, you know, this and that's going on. Well, how's he doing? Is he, is he working? Well, no, he's not working right now. He just, he's between jobs, you know, and you need someone that makes good decisions. Look at some of the decisions they've made. Are they good decisions? Bad decisions. This affects you. You need someone, here's something that's very important. You need someone that serves others. Because guess what? If they don't serve others, they are not going to serve you. Come on, sounds pretty practical, doesn't it? Yet we have millions of people in relationships that have not understood this truth. You need someone that knows how to serve others. You need someone, now let's just get where the rubber meets the road. You need someone that commits to the local church. Are they committed to church? Well, you know, I, I read my Bible. I mean, I, I pray every once in a while. I don't need to go to church. There's a bunch of hypocrites there. But, you know, I know God. You know, I know God. Me and God, you know, we're tight. If you and God were really tight, you would be committed to something. You need somebody who commits. Commits both ways. And then finally, you need someone who is morally pure. Come on. Don't, I, you know, I, I'm done, but, you know, this thing, this excuse, and for those of you who have been married or those of you who may be older, maybe you're not in a relationship, you can pass this on to people, please. We, I don't want to hear this excuse anymore about, well, uh, you know what, um, we're going to get married, so, you know, sex is not that big of a deal. I mean, we're going to get married. It's an excuse, folks. God is very clear, and I know I'm on front street with some. I know it. I mean, listen, you know, people, you know, my uncle uh, was on front street with me when I was 20 years old. I got a lot of counsel at 20 and did the exact opposite. So don't, so I know, okay? I know exactly. <laughs> I did the exact opposite with a pastor, my wise uncle, mother, and other people told me. Don't despise counsel. I mean, I really mean that. You know, I mean, I know I'm you know being funny sometimes, but I really mean that. Do not despise counsel. Don't do it. They're not there. You know, God and people who are over your life are not just there to make sure you have a terrible life and to make sure you you know that's not what they're there for. Those things that they're telling you are not that way. They say it for a reason. But you need someone who is morally pure. You know, well, you know, come on. I mean, we're going to get married anyway. In fact, we got the date set. So what does it matter? You know, if they're asking you those kind of questions and trying to get you into compromising situations, you might say, well, hold on a second now. Maybe we need to move the date out a little bit because I don't like the way this is going. You know, because if you falter in this area now, we're going to be together for the rest of our life. And you can't wait till next year when we get married. So if you can't wait for that, what's it going to be like the rest of our life? Is there going to be some more immorality in our life? Come on. It takes some work. Here's the thing about it. We need to understand that a successful relationship has to be 
intentional. We have to set our mind to it. We have to put our hand to the plow. We have to set our face like a flint and say, listen, we're going to make this thing work. Now, maybe you guys will get into it when you talk about the marriage, uh, you know, at the marriage seminar. I'm not talking about abuse and all those type of things. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about wanting a successful relationship. And then not only in marriages, but I'm talking about with your family. Listen, it takes work. Here's what I'll say today. And this is the third ending here, ending, is, listen, take, take today and look forward. Are there people in your family that you haven't talked to in a long time? Come on. Are there, are, there, are, there, are there those that you haven't connected with? Maybe you had a sour note and you just haven't talked to them in years. Maybe it's a situation where you can pick up the phone and see how they're doing. Notice I said pick up the phone. <laughs> yeah, you can hit them up on Facebook, but it's kind of not the same, especially when you haven't seen someone for a long time. I mean, I can, you know, I can hit one of you guys up on Facebook if I see you every Sunday, you know, and it's, it's cool because I've seen you. But if I haven't seen you in a long time, I don't know what that means on Facebook. I don't know what they're thinking in a text. Pick up the phone. If you can go see them, go see them. Are there people in your life Maybe a grandmother, maybe a sister, maybe a cousin, maybe a friend that you had. Maybe there was a sour note there. Maybe there was some hurt. Maybe there was some offense. Relationships take a lot of work. And I just want you to think about this. It's why you're here. It's why you're here. It's why you're on earth. Relationships, not just one relationships. And then I'll say this. You want friends, you have to be a friend. Don't say, well, I just, I don't have any friends. Nobody's being friendly to me. Say, listen, I'm going to be friendly to people. I don't care what they do, because Jesus said, do unto others the way you what? Want them to do unto you. Treat others the way you want them to treat you.